please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What The Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this saga will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Isaac. And I'm Chloe. And in this episode, we're talking about Chapter 11 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. How you doing? Oh, good. Are you still in your pajamas? No. Oh, <laughs> I am. <laughs> you know what? Last time we spoke, I was being quite negative. You, as always, were being a ray of sunshine. And <laughs> today, I'm absorbing that. I think. Oh, absorb my light. Yeah, steal it, suck it from you, keep it for myself, leave you drained. <laughs> I woke up inexplicably with Zero to Hero from Hercules in my head. What a song! You know it's going to be a good day. Exactly. I don't know where it came from. Bless my soul! was on a roll! Undefeated! Oh, so good. So good. It was a great start to my morning. I got up, I had breakfast, I did my hair. You might not be able to tell. (laughs) Because the quarantine hair, she's a growing. We're getting little curly, mullety bits down the back of the neck, which I hate. (laughs) That has been getting me down. So I've just not been doing my hair for the last week or so. But today I was like, no, you know what? The muses are singing to me. And I did my hair, used a hairdryer and everything. And yeah, I've got a cup of tea in my favourite mug. It's got Dalmatians on it. And I'm speaking to you. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so I'm just feeling great. The world is going my way. I mean, I'm still inside. Uh, but... <laughs> but your little world. How's your morning? You've not showered. I woke up an hour ago. <laughs> and then I cleaned up the cat shit, so... Oh, <laughs> Well, zero to hero. I am the zero. You are the hero. <laughs> and I'm okay with that this but morning. You know I? what? I think we can turn it around with chapter 11 of Life and Death. <laughs> So, today we're going to talk about chapter 11, Complications. Why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? I miss vintage Avril. You know the theories that she died, right? Everybody died. You know, (laughs) anybody who's anybody is is dead. Like, Paul McCartney's not really Paul McCartney. Elvis Presley wasn't really Elvis Presley. Michael Jackson's not really dead. Tupac's not really dead. Avril died. You know you've made it if people think that you're dead. Wow. I read yesterday that Stephanie Meyer does have a playlist prepared for Midnight Sun. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, you can leave that at home. You just share that with your sons. (laughs) (laughs) It's all going to be Muse anyway. Well, mostly. And I love Muse, but I don't think they're very happy about this situation. (laughs) (laughs) They just want to do a Bond theme. That's all they ask. (laughs) That's all they want to do. But they're stuck with Twilight. Life and Death, Chapter 11, Complications. It's still Wednesday the 16th of March 2005, (laughs) so we're continuing directly on from Chapter 10. After lunch, Bo and Edith go to biology together and the sexual tension is overwhelming when the lights go off for a video lesson. It is palpable! In gym, Michaela partners with Bo, asks him about his relationship with Edith, and reacts badly when he confirms that they are seeing each other. Edith drives Bo home and informs him that tomorrow it's her turn to ask the questions. That night, Bo's electric dreams about Edith mean that he doesn't get much sleep. 
wet dreams. That's not what it says in the text, but it's what it means. The next day, Thursday 17th of March, Edith picks Bo up again and proceeds to spend the whole day asking him about every detail of his life. At lunch, Bo makes a big show of pretending that he likes Taylor, but she's just using him to make someone else jealous, and it's breaking his heart. He tells her that he won't go along with this whole prom charade anymore. For some reason, Taylor goes along with it. They're watching a film again in biology, and Bo and Edith spend another hour trying not to rip each other's clothes off. When Edith drives Bo home that afternoon, they sit in the car outside Charlie's house and talk for hours until they have to stop because Charlie is almost home. But just before Charlie gets there, Jules and Bonnie Black arrive. And that is where we leave chapter 11, Complications. I'm gonna be honest, I've made a few notes, obviously, because I'm very good at homework, but I feel like this will be more of an emotional. I'm sorry, more emotional than last time? Yeah. God, I'm not ready. So she sits down right next to Bo as they're walking into biology for this first intense lesson. Their arms almost touching and Bo tells us her hair brushed my skin. How did it brush her skin? Because it's up on her head. (laughs) If you're sat at a normal sized desk, for your hair to touch someone's arm <laughs> it needs to be quite long. Yeah. It's quite a distance. Maybe she's done an asymmetrical thing. Half the pins are out. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier. It's because she is so petite and Bo is so tall. <laughs> <laughs> even sat down her head is at about elbow level with him his head is just brushing the fluorescent lights above and she is peeking over the desk to try and see the screen because that is the normal height ratio for a heterosexual couple yes (laughs) Bo says you couldn't go around touching people just because the lights were off find that that's when most people try and touch each other. No, but not just like in a normal, you don't go to the cinema and then like (laughs) (laughs) as soon as they dim the light you start getting up like, well, it's my time. (laughs) We can now touch. Making my way down row G, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch her without consent though. Well, this is the thing. I think that's what we're really getting at here. He says, what was wrong with me? You couldn't just go around touching people because the lights were off. We're addressing his desire to touch her. Because the lights are off? I mean, I don't know. Like, I kind of get it. It's a bit much. We get it twice in this chapter, this description. Yeah, it's a lot. My favourite description of it is actually the first description. The first, the, the sentence before is, Mrs. Banner shoved the old tape into the VCR, walked across the room and turned off the lights. All completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next sentence is, and then suddenly, as the room went black, things got weird. <laughs> I just think that is what I would print on the back cover. On a first read, I was like, what happened? My mind goes to like some kind of creepy horror. The room goes black. I start seeing in the light of the TV screen. (laughs) Michaela starts peeling off her face to reveal a giant lizard. Like a mushroom trip, basically, is what I'm saying. (laughs) When really it's his sexual awakening and he has no idea how to handle it. He's just like, fuck, what is this? I'm like, it's... Your penis. Yeah, and you'd think by 17, you'd know it was just your penis. What's even stranger to me, because I kind of would understand this crazy teenage boy hormone, you know, in the light of a VCR in a, what we, at least in England, would have called like a DOS lesson. Like, yes, you're not yeah. really, you don't have to do any work. But what's weird is that when the lights come back on, Edith looks at him and goes, well, that was interesting. interesting. 
Did they psychically fuck? Edith is like, well, that was interesting. And he says, I stood carefully, worried I wouldn't be able to walk straight after all that. That is your boner alert, people. Boner alert. Boner <laughs> alert. But that is, um, that feels quite explicit to me. Yeah, this is a very raunchy for Maya. It is, and I don't think, it, a lot of the time, I'm willing to admit, it's us putting that in there. No, come on! Okay, it's there, but we just really pull it out. We, there's a <laughs> tiny little thread, and we pull until it all unravels. Which is what Edith might have done under the desk to bow. But that is quite explicit. Also, connotations of not being able to walk straight. Yeah. Also, sometimes, I don't know what the science is, but I remember being told anyway as a teen that sometimes it was just like a blood flow thing. <laughs> just because you've been sat down for so long, it would just happen. <laughs> I think that's just something that men are told so they don't feel as bad. Yeah. That you're filthy. They then have this like emotional... Goodbye. They kind of cry <laughs> at each other. <laughs> I don't know. She walks him to gym, which is something that he does every single day, five days a week. It's completely normal and he's always made it out alive before. And yet this time he looks down to say goodbye and chokes on the word. And her face was torn, almost pained, and so unbearably beautiful that the ache to touch her hit me even more intensely than it had before. It's a sad boner. Mm, no, I think that it's post-orgasm and they're crying. They're holding each other and crying. That was beautiful. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable. I just can't stand the idea of not seeing you for the next hour. <laughs> she strokes his face. She does, yeah. And that actually says to me that she had a great time. <laughs> See, I thought a bit more of a, you're welcome. <gasps> <laughs> oh, yes. Hello, Michaela. What are you thinking about her attitude from, like, super friendly to hostile in seconds? <sighs> I'm just a bit like, please don't be mean, Michaela. Like, I did think it got a little bit mean. And this is similar to the section in Twilight where the same thing happens. And I have the same praise for Bo that I had for Bella. Michaela's like, I don't like it. Mike was like, I don't like it. And Bo and Bella both say, you don't actually have to. Which is true. Regardless of anyone's behaviour and who's been right and who's been wrong... At the end of the day, it is that person's decision. No one else needs to approve. So that's kind of it. Like, I feel for Michaela. I like Michaela quite a bit, actually. But back up. Agreed. I kind of enjoyed Edith's threat towards Michaela after she's heard this conversation. She's like, don't worry, I won't. But I'm like, but you could. It's dangerous, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I don't, she wouldn't. I know she won't. I know Edith, she won't. So <laughs> I trust her. <laughs> I trust her. Yeah, I'm just saying bring it on. I would like to see Edith and Michaela, like, duke it out. I'm very sorry, but I've just flicked through to see where my next note was. I was hoping that we would have time to really cool off from the sexual beginning of this chapter, but my next note is about the wet dream. So uh, do you have anything else before that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, looks like we're just having quite a horny episode today. I hope you're all okay. hope no one's listening with family. <laughs> so that night, Edith starred in my dreams as usual. It thrilled with the same electricity that had charged the afternoon. I tossed and turned restlessly, waking often. Oh no! <sighs> and yet she will not type the word shit. It doesn't seem fair. Even when it is so clear that that is what the characters are wanting to say, she cannot type the word shit. And yet she can seriously describe teenage sexuality to mm, us. Mm. 
It's not right. What did you make of his kind of revelation looking in the mirror? This is new. I don't remember this from Twilight at all. No, it's because he's lost his virginity. He's looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, I am looking at the new me, the sexually awakened beau. Oh my God, you are so right. I know. I am (laughs) kicking myself that I did not see this metaphor running through. It's the loss of innocence, the loss of virginity. The biology class into then the night of restless dreams, especially because I believe she will have been watching him have those restless dreams. He looks around for where the change is and for anyone who listened to our episode on Breaking Dawn will know there's no change. No. Virginity doesn't exist. No. It's not a real thing. Uh, but we understand that Maya believes that virginity is a real thing. It's just another trope that Stephanie Meyer just has to include. The whole teenager looking in the mirror after they've had sex. Is that a trope? Yeah. Oh. When I was in my adolescence, way back when, I read a lot of young teenage fiction. And there was one series in particular, and it took the second book for her to lose her virginity to the guy that she's been with. And she looks in the mirror afterwards and it's like, nothing has changed. (laughs) But it's a trope and it's done in so many movies. Even if it's not your virginity, after having sex, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, ugh. And if that's an experience you have, you're not wrong. (laughs) No, it's It's just just a trope used in films and media. And it's not necessarily the case that you will feel some kind of change. Okay, we have to get to the Taylor bit. Yeah, okay. So... (sighs) What the fuck? (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, Chloe. This chapter and the one that came before it are very connected. They feel very much like a two-parter. Because in the last chapter, Michaela told Bo that... Taylor was telling everyone that she was going to prom with him. Yeah, and that's why Logan is angry. And then we have him kind of go, what am I supposed to do? And Michaela gives him the obvious and correct, (laughs) tell her you're not going with her. But he's all conflicted about it. He thinks about it. When Charlie talks to him over breakfast, he's thinking about it here. But but no, he's not thinking about it enough to let us in to what he's going to do. And then he does it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Well, this is the thing. It's written as though it's some grand surprise and some brilliant like moments it's really built up and it does not exist in twilight i am just baffled as to why why and this is not something Bo would do no it does feel very out of character do you want to explain what he actually does this is lunchtime on a thursday and he tells edith wait there and he just waltzes up to michaela and the kids <laughs> and directly addresses taylor and makes this whole show of how he just can't do this anymore and how she is playing him to get someone else jealous looking at Logan. I just can't be a pawn in your game. You must go with who you really want to and stop, you know, breaking my heart. It's not fair. And then she is all a flummox and her mouth is wide open and he storms off and pushes the door in a very dramatic way and then is like exhausted afterwards. And then Edith, his mind reading girlfriend comes up and goes, that went great. You've fully fixed everything. Well done. How? This is so So stupid. stupid. Even Bo says that Taylor was believing this. Why on earth would Taylor go along with this? What would you think if you were Taylor? I would say, look, I felt sorry for you because I nearly killed you. I'm doing you a favour by wanting to go with you to the prom. I'm going to look amazing. Also, I don't want to go with Logan. If I wanted to go with Logan, I would have asked Logan. I did not ask Logan. Do not force me to be with Logan because Logan is a class A prick. On top of this, why would anyone else buy this? Like, this is 
psychotic behaviour, everyone knows, because literally everyone has been talking about it, that Bo is with Edith. They are together in school. Everyone watched them have sex in biology. (laughs) And they're constantly sat alone at their lunch table. Michaela has outright said to Bo, like, right, so you and Edith, you're a thing. And he's like, yeah. And Jeremy and him have had a big fallout about it. Why would anyone believe that Bo is in love with Taylor? They wouldn't. They would not. And it makes Taylor look like an idiot And I don't believe she is one She isn't, she is cunning that one What's frustrating is that this As a moment in the story Does not stand up to the tiniest bit of scrutiny It doesn't have any character continuity It doesn't make sense With the information we've already been given It doesn't push the story forward Bo was never going to go to prom with Taylor This was never a question To kind of give it one little nugget Of maybe something a bit positive At least it does resolve this issue And now we'll never have to hear about it again I combed through Twilight To try and figure out how this Tyler storyline The equivalent was tied up And it kind of wasn't until the very end So in Twilight, Bella learns from Jess and Angela that Tyler has been saying to everyone that he's taking her to prom and Bella kind of goes ugh and then never mentions it again doesn't do anything about it basically allows Tyler to believe that he's taking her to prom until right at the end of the book in the epilogue Edward and Bella are on their way to prom and Edward gets a phone call from Charlie to say that Tyler has shown up at the house dressed and ready to take Bella to prom. And Edward says on the phone to Tyler, Bella's not available and she's not going to be available with anyone but me. Which is kind of mean to poor Tyler. Like he could have maybe done with a heads up considering that everyone knew that he was planning on taking Bella to prom. I mean, yes, he should not. And Taylor's guilty of this as well. You should not assume that you're going on a date with someone when they have not verbally told you yet. Yes, I will be going on this date with you. But both Bella and Bo should have just said to this person, I'm not interested in going with you. Also, like, when Edith is like, oh, she's feeling like the femme fatale. And she's like, oh, I would be surprised if Logan doesn't ask her to prom by Monday. I don't want Taylor to go to prom with Logan. No one should go to prom with Logan or Jeremy. They should both have to stay at home. I mean, I grew up with a crush on Draco Malfoy. I can empathise, but she deserves better than what he's going to give her. Yeah. Unless she doesn't really care about... Well, she doesn't, clearly. Or she would have asked him out. Taylor's better than that. She does not find Logan attractive. But then maybe he's got a big dick and she's just gonna... Ride it. Mm. You know what I mean? And if that's what Taylor wants to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally here for that as well. But I just think Taylor wouldn't be attracted to him with the way that he has dealt with her rejection. No, so true, actually. I'd be like, this guy? You want me to be with this guy? He is clearly her second choice. Yeah, and he's petty and he takes it out on the guy that I'm taking to prom rather than coming up to me and speaking to me about it. Nah. Hmm. Taylor should go with the girls. Moving on a little bit. Yeah, please. That was... They sit and talk for hours and hours outside Charlie's house. Yeah, they sit for hours. And what does Edith say? Edith says... It's Twilight. Mm, she does. I was like, oh. That sweet, sweet oh. dopamine finally arrived. <laughs> I was happy. So Bonnie Black arrives, looking very stern, and looks like an old leather bag. <laughs> I was like, that is awful. Is that racist? Is it? Like, that is... That is bad. I don't know. I mean... Don't say that about our Bonnie. And you really want Charlie and Bonnie to get together, but do you think Charlie's going to be into an old leather bag? <laughs> I think an old leather bag is actually Charlie's exact type. I do. That's I probably do. true, actually. 
nice and weathered. Okay, so Billy is described as having a memorable face, a face that overflowed, the cheeks resting against his shoulders with creases running through the russet skin like an old leather jacket. <laughs> um, it's awful! So at least Billy was a cool leather jacket. Bonnie's a fucking old leather bag! I don't know. I think both are probably equally offensive. Oh, wait, no, no, no. No, Bonnie's a jacket as well. No, she says I'm an old leather bag! Stern and stoic with creases that ran through the russet skin like an old leather jacket. Oh my god, where did I get bag? Well, now who is calling Bonnie an old leather bag? (laughs) It's still not good. Bag, jacket, it ain't great. And that's where we end this chapter. Quite excited for what's to come with Miss Bonnie. Mm. It's always nice to see her. I would like to hear what your favourite part of this chapter is first. Um... No. You've got one, surely. Give us a sec. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I really don't have one. Maybe um, us coming up with a boner alert? That's fun. Bo's boner is your favourite part. No, not Bo's boner. The boner alert that we have given our dear listeners. Boner alert. Boner alert. Okay, it's not technically in this chapter, but I'll give it to you. What's your worst bit? The Taylor telenovela scene. Awful. I'm going to say it as well. It's mine. Might be the worst thing she's ever written. Oh, wow. That would be a tough competition. But it's definitely my worst part of this chapter. It's really bad. What's your best bit? My best bit I'm actually really fond of. Bo's description of home, of Phoenix. It's exactly the same as Bella's description in Twilight but I just enjoyed reading it again. And it reminds me of the scene from La Push, where he describes the scenery there. He says he tried to describe impossible things like the scent of creosote, bitter, kind of resinous, but still pleasant. The high keening sound of the cicadas in July, the gaunt feathery trees, the enormous sky extending white blue from horizon to horizon. The hardest thing to explain was why it was so beautiful to me. To justify a beauty that didn't depend on the spiny vegetation that mostly looked half dead. A beauty that had something to do with the exposed shape of the land, with the shallow bowls of valleys between the craggy hills, and the way they held onto the sun. That I found beautiful. Yeah, so you have this passage, and then he goes up to Taylor and is like, We can't do this anymore! (laughs) Look, it does not fix the chapter. It doesn't make any sense, though. It confuses the character. This is not Bo's dialogue. I am choosing to believe, in my head canon that the whole interaction with Taylor is what is out of character, and that this poetry is true to Bo. Are you ready for a question? Okay. Why doesn't Edith have an iPod? Edith, in her car, pulls out one of the dozens of CDs she has stored. I don't think you can fit dozens of CDs in any compartment of a car. Dozens? Yes, you can. Those CD cases. Oh, I see. Like a wallet. Yeah, with just the CD. That's what I thought. And also, it's 2005. Could iPods be connected into your car? They maybe couldn't be connected into the car. Yeah, but also, I don't think Edith would want an iPod. Why? I think she's more into... You know how people are now into vinyls again? Right. I think she's like, the CD is like the mastery of music. Because my mum has never had an iPod. I know my mum is a lot older than... Well, she's not She's an awful lot younger than Edith. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Chapter 11 of Life and Death. 
Join us next time for Chapter 12, Balancing. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, look after yourself. And remember, when the room goes dark, things get weird.